0: Yeah, thought about it. Probably not. Are you kidding me? I can't wait to get that vaccine.
1: Not gonna lie, I'm a little concerned, but I'll probably get it. We don't have enough information, and I do not trust the politicians. The vaccine appointments are gone before you can even hit send.
2: I'm just not sold on a vaccine. You know, I'll keep my distance. i wash my hands a million times anyway. I'm wearing my mask everywhere, but...
0: Uh, Like I said, Florida's been open and we've been doing just fine. Hopefully in a few months, with this pandemic critical stage, we start to rebuild now a massive national campaign for embracing science and teaching science.
3: The U.S. has been vaccinating at a rapid pace since last December, and each day millions of doses are injected into people's arms. It is the biggest vaccination campaign in history. Yet not everybody is on board. Like Cindy, she's a teacher from Florida. Well, I very much
2: appreciate the speed at getting this ready, like in less than a year. I feel in my gut that there's got to be some long-term effects, you know, because they couldn't try to uh, allow for every worst-case scenario, you know? I mean, you're injecting something in your body. It's a man-made vaccine. Today,
3: we will discuss the complex issues around why some people are not as excited as we are about the stunning miracle delivered by biotechnology in the form of the vaccines against a deadly pandemic. And it is more layered than you would think. Reluctance is based on everything, from not enough information, to too much information, to distrust in institutions, to questions about the speed and long-term effects, and to limited access in certain communities. I am Phyllis Arthur, BIO's VP of Infectious Diseases and Emerging Science, and you are listening to I Am BIO. Let's face it, most of us are not scientists. When COVID hit, we struggled to understand first why this was different from flu. What makes it spread? How can we avoid it? And if we had to avoid it? Interestingly enough, the scientists were studying this in real time as well. After all, it was called the novel coronavirus because it was just that, new. As information poured in through the media, it felt overwhelming to so many, including Angel, a fitness instructor from Maryland who struggled to understand what was real and what was not, even though she was an avid news junkie.
2: I am a news junkie, so I watch CNN almost all day. And so most of my information came from that, um, as well as, you know, just conversations with others, other people who they have other sources that they watch and other people that they listen to and just having conversations with them. And I've actually had to wean myself off from uh, watching the news too much because it is a lot of information. And um, considering the times that we are in, it was a little bit of overload on um you know just just a lot of information about the vaccine and different things going on and i have to i have to wean myself off from listening to the news so like angel the
3: countless hours watching the news while cooped up in our home has taken a toll for most of us information seems to be moving faster than time it can be impossible to know what is next while at the same time every day feels like groundhog day
2: when you're in the house and it's like constant like you know, just COVID, 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 you kind of lose a sense of hope to a degree because Dr. Fauci will come on and he might say, okay, this is what we should expect. This is what we're looking for. And this is what you should anticipate. And then you reach that point, And then it's like something else. And then being African-American, I also questioned why it also felt like they were um, pushing it on the African-American community, as well as you know, the less fortunate. So because of all that, it it actually uh, made me a little bit more apprehensive to taking it.
0: There are many different approaches to this sort of concern about vaccine hesitancy.
3: That's Reed tuxin. He's the founder of the Black Coalition Against COVID-19, a group of doctors, nurses, and scientists engaged with both the FDA and the NIH to educate and ensure Black communities have access to COVID-19 vaccines. Throughout the vaccine rollout, vaccine hesitancy has become a big topic which often focuses on the Black community. I had a chance to speak with him about this. There's a lot of discussion in the media about vaccine hesitancy in the African-American community. Talk a little bit about where you think this hesitancy comes from. And then let's also talk a little bit about whether or not the hesitancy is all the way through the African American population. I think there's a lot of discussion going on in the media about whether we're focusing on that too much in the Black community, instead of understanding what's behind that hesitancy, which sometimes could be access issues and not hesitancy about the vaccine.
0: To begin at the beginning, there is no question that people of color in this country's experience with America has caused very legitimate and deeply held distrust. The experiences of slavery, of Jim Crow, uh, all the way through to the Tuskegee syphilis experiment in the 1930s uh, that went on for several decades have all created this climate of distrust. These seeds are deeply planted, Phyllis, inside of our culture, as you are well aware. But the tragedy is that those seeds are watered every day through most black folks' uh, experience with contemporary American society. And so when there is this need for thousands and thousands of people supported by millions of others to, to take into the city streets across the nation to declare that my life matters, my dignity is important, that becomes not just a criminal justice or a police issue. It's not just a political issue. In fact, what it is, is also very much a health issue. And so we have these seeds of distrust, which are challenging. Now, the good news uh, and what's important, as you uh, underscore with your question, Phyllis, is that the black community, just like any other Population is heterogeneous, not homogeneous, and so there are many different approaches uh, to, uh, to to this sort of concern about vaccine hesitancy. We are certainly seeing our older uh, citizens being much more willing and ready to get vaccinated. We see those who are in the middle questioning, and our young people are probably going to be the hardest challenge as we go forward.
2: So I haven't taken the vaccine yet. I I'm going to, and at this point, I'm actually going to do it because of my mother. Um, and that's actually the only reason why I'm going to do it is because of my mom. I can't necessarily say that I trusted 100%, but my mother has taken it. And so I wanna make sure that she feels comfortable with me coming around her. So for, for her sake, I will go and take the vaccine. Cause outside of that, you know, I still question getting it, but I'm gonna take it anyway.
0: I uh, wrote an editorial in Science a couple of months ago, and it basically focused on this issue of distrust. And and the observation that I made then, and I make it here, is that when I was Commissioner of Health again in D.C. during the AIDS epidemic, the number one issue we faced was the distrust. Uh, That was what was our biggest paralytic element to overcome for positive community action. How is it possible, how is it possible that 40 years later, the number one issue that we are facing with this COVID pandemic in the African-American community is the issue of distrust. Our research community in America, our clinical care delivery system in America, and our health policy apparatus in America has done absolutely nothing to take that off the table. We should be ashamed of ourselves in healthcare care today. We should be absolutely ashamed because distrust is not just an idle emotion. It leads to death and preventable misery and suffering. We knew that, we know it now, and the question is, are all of our agencies, is the biopharmaceutical industry, is the clinical care decision, the AMA, the American Hospital Association, are all of us going to come together and have a conversation now about regaining that?
3: REED's coalition has taken the issue head on, and thanks to their efforts, the group is seeing significant progress with some segments of the African-American community.
0: It's inappropriate today to label the black community as being somehow outliers or problem people uh, in this regard. In fact, the numbers have switched dramatically, hopefully because of things like the things that we're doing and many others as trusted voices, health professionals, members of the clergy and others have been really moving forward. And so I would now see that we have flipped from where a few months ago we were seeing 60 to 70 percent saying no to now 70 percent saying yes, or at least being willing to entertain it if they could get access to more factual information.
3: In some cases, however, people simply cannot get access to the vaccine. And as Angel highlighted in her story, vaccine hesitancy could ultimately dissipate, meaning demand will rise. We must make vaccines available to everyone.
0: Let us not deny the Black community access vaccines on the assumption that they don't want them, because we are seeing now across the country lines of black people who are standing in line and the supply is running out. And we're seeing numerous uh, African-Americans trying to register and can't get into the registration because of poor Internet connectivity, suboptimal uh, computer skills or tools and so forth. So we're ready. And we need to keep, of course, moving forward with the message. But we are ready as a people to be vaccinated.
3: And sometimes access to COVID vaccines is simply about knowing how to work the process. When we come back from a quick break, we hear from a school administrator, Maureen, who actually had COVID-19. This episode is brought to you by BioDigital, the world's largest conference for biotechnology, taking place from June 10th to 18th. Register now to save. Visit bio.org for more details. Maureen is a COVID long hauler, or someone experiencing the virus's symptoms for weeks to months after infection. This made her immediately eligible to receive the vaccine when it became available in Massachusetts. But Maureen found out just how
1: hard getting an appointment could be. I realized even the vaccination process was just scheduling an appointment was more complicated that, than I anticipated. I went through the state-sponsored site, and it just felt impossible. Um, All of the appointments were scheduled and were fully booked, and it seemed like no matter what time of day I signed on, it was fully booked, and at this point, I was signing in from, like, 9 to 5. And then through the grapevine, I heard that the best time of day to check is at midnight, at 2 a.m., at 4 a.m., and at, like, 6 or 7 a.m., depending on the site. So essentially that is what I did. I, you know, either stayed up late or woke up extremely early and kind of scouted out some of the sites. And I finally was able to book my vaccine. When
3: Maureen recognized how difficult it was for her, a young tech savvy millennial with good internet to book an appointment, it became apparent help was needed for others who are
1: not so proficient. It was a lot more complicated than it needed to be. I think in that sense, I was also less concerned about myself and more concerned about folks who are older or perhaps aren't as comfortable um, with tech and didn't have access to just simply scheduling appointments. I thought that was more disturbing than anything. So I feel like it was less of a barrier for me because I was willing to put in the time to sort of be a part of what felt like a lottery (laughs) or a game of chance.
3: Thankfully, Maureen's community was able to step up to the plate.
1: When the eligibility for K through 12 educators opened up in Massachusetts, they were realizing how, you know, we were all realizing how much of a struggle it was to schedule an appointment. So these parents just volunteered and they were like, hey, like, you know, if anybody wants to get vaccinated, please let us know, send us your information and we will work on this for you. And, you know, the majority of our staff actually was able to get a vaccine appointment within almost like 10 days. And there's about, there's almost 60 of us, which is really impressive. Um, And all because of the gracious time um, that these parents have put in. And they were, you know, staying up late and they were waking up early and they really didn't have to do this, but they realized just how arduous it was. And it helped just keep some of the weight off of the educators that were already working so hard to just make sure that students felt safe and comfortable. And so, yeah, we're so grateful for them.
3: So how do we as a nation increase vaccine access and get over the hesitation
0: hump? It has to start with a loving, empathetic, caring environment. And I hope that our country, if we learn anything from this pandemic, it is going to be that it has to, that we now understand that the relationship between human beings who share the same time and space is a sacred moral and ethical responsibility. And there are duties that accompany that. And one of those is to treat each other's life as valuable as your own. So I think it really does start there.
3: What we have learned through this pandemic is that we need to make every effort to make science accessible, understandable, and meaningful to everybody's lives. And we have seen a renewed interest in science as the public witnesses the enormous effort and success of applying science to solve a global challenge.
0: One of the other things, and I think this is one of the key things that bio can do as a part of a collaborative of others, and that is to help the African-American community, and in fact, all of America, embrace science, embrace innovation. I mean, just look at the challenges we faced. People took the, the speed with which we were able to decode this virus and the speed with which we could reprogram mRNA and other viral prototypes in different ways to create a vaccine in record time. We did not celebrate that accomplishment. We were concerned about the accomplishment. We're trying to spend hours and hours and hours of our time now explaining what is mRNA? What does that mean? What is a virus? What is a viral variant? We now need to embrace science as our friend, not our enemy. And we're going to have to, I believe, mount a very aggressive campaign. And I am calling on, and I am literally calling on, literally as we speak, the Ad Council, uh, the AAAS, Uh, the National Academies of Medicine, every player that we can, so that as soon as we get done, uh, hopefully in a few months, with this pandemic critical stage, we start to rebuild now a massive national campaign for embracing science and teaching science. And finally, I am absolutely begging everyone in a position of authority in corporate America, I'm begging you, Please go to your local school district and push for a better science and mathematics education. You cannot live as a a rational adult in the genomic world, in a genomic era, and not understand basic science principles or probabilistic statistical decision-making because that's the basis of what healthcare will be. We are not ready for it, and it's a shame if we do not try to do something about that. So let's launch a campaign as soon as we get done this for a love and embrace of science. And I want to be the first person to to help lead that parade.
3: Thank you, Reed, And thank you to all our guests in this week's episode. If you or someone you know has any questions about the vaccine, please visit BIO's website, covidvaccinefacts.org. This is a website with dozens of answers to the most pressing questions about the vaccines. If you can, schedule a vaccine for your neighbor or help them to get on a vaccine site or just talk to them about vaccines. Together, we can reach 80% of Americans being vaccinated and stop the spread. Thanks for joining us on I Am Bio. On the next episode, you will hear how one company is creating high-end aromas from carbon waste and how biotech is changing the future of the fashion and beauty industry. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at I Am Biotech. And subscribe to Good Day Bio at bio.org backslash good This episode was developed by executive producer Teresa Brady and producers Connor McCoy, Cornelia Poku, and Marilyn Sawyer. It was engineered and mixed by Jess Fenton, and the original music was produced by LWL Studio.